This is the Work Minus Podcast, where we talk about what we need to drop from how we work today and transformative ideas to help you build a better workplace. To hear all of our episodes and read articles about how you can improve your workplace, go to workminus.com. Welcome back to Work Minus. Today, our guest is Jeff Gardner. He's the head of platform partnerships at Intercom. And this episode is Work Minus Compromises. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm well. Thank you, Neil. Doing great. Thanks for being on our show. Why don't you start off telling us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up living in the Alps? Sure. So uh, as I guess the listeners can hear, I am American, uh, not Italian. Um, But I ended up living in the Alps because I met this Irish girl in Yosemite, California, uh, many, many moons ago at this stage. A highly logical jump there, right? Highly logical jump. An Irish girl in California. Yeah, exactly. And in the end, we ended up getting married. Uh, She moved over to the States for a little while. I'm from Virginia originally. And the plan was always that we were going to move back to Europe. And I guess the obvious choice would have been for us to move to Dublin and Ireland. Uh, But she has grandparents on one side who are Italian. And so there's a a very strong connection kind of through those family ties back to Italy. And so we had done a lot of climbing in the Alps. And we know that, you know, mountains and skiing and climbing and running and that sort of thing is uh, really, really important to us. And so we said, well, we don't have any kids at this stage. We might as well try to do something more fun than just go back to Dublin and do the kind of default option. And so we just kind of moved to this town, really small town in the Alps that we had been through a few times for climbing holidays. Uh, it was, you know, the place you would come for doing your grocery shopping or getting ice cream when, when you know, it was a rainy day up in Switzerland or that sort of thing. And we moved here kind of uh, site you know, half unseen, like we'd been here a few times, but we certainly had never lived here for any period of time and uh, really just lucked out, uh, landed in a community that is really open, um, still very vibrant. Uh, I think a lot of these small towns in the Alps uh, sort of are dying because there's there's nowhere for people to work and that sort of thing. But that's not really the case here. Uh, so we landed in this great little town and that was nine years ago. So we've been here since. But you're not a professional climber. You don't spend all your time outdoors. You also have this job with Intercom. So how does that work? Yeah, exactly. So I, uh, I don't know if that would be a good thing or a bad thing to be a professional climber, but it certainly would be a different thing. Um, and no, I'm not a professional climber. So it, it is very much a pastime. And, um, you know, especially the climbing side of things now that we've got three small kids, uh, we've got a lot less time for it, but the outdoors is still a huge part of what we do. And so I think it's, um, I mean, the way we balance that is really that it's, uh, you know, you do your work, but then, you know, you don't live to work, you work to live. And we try to spend as much as our time, much of our time that's not working outside, uh, bringing the kids around, even things like planting a garden at the house and, you know, just tinkering around in the garden is, um, is a big thing for us. All right. So most people would say living this kind of life that you do, it's something that we want to wait for when I get enough money, when I can finally retire, then I can do something like that. But you're saying that you can just do it now and keep working and keep your job and everything like that. So what has that process been like for you? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I think I've, uh, I guess I've always been a little bit of, I don't know if I'd say contrarian or, or what thinker, but I've always uh, from kind of early on was like, I, I don't want to do the mold thing. I, you know, I'm not going to go join the rat race on Wall Street. Um, you know, like you've definitely got goals and things you want to do, but um you know, a lot of mine weren't super refined around, you know, career or that sort of thing. And partially that was just because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was interested in lots and lots of things and couldn't really pick one or focus on one. Um, And so for a little while, I kind of just fumbled around through things and and spent a lot of time climbing, lived out of a van for a couple of years, uh, did a little bit of photography, um, started to get into like web development and that sort of thing. And I think that 
switch into that and then being exposed a little bit to remote uh, remote working. Um, and this is kind of going back probably 12 or 14 years or something at this stage. But I remember, you know, David Heiermeyer Hansen and Jason Freed at Basecamp and some of their early stuff in 37 Signals was just really spoke to me. It was like, hey, work doesn't have to be, uh, you know, fixed location. It doesn't have to be totally nuts. You can kind of create your own situation. Um, and I think that that really was like, okay, that's what I want to do. You know, that, that's the thing. I'd rather try and work a little less and play a little more uh, and, you know, obviously earn enough. But um, that was sort of the thinking that I think got us onto this track. And, you know, to be honest, I don't know that there was a ton of calculus involved. It was sort of just gut feeling, choice by choice by choice. Um, but that sort of ended up putting us into a place where we are now. What was the reaction you got from your coworkers and your family when you were making these decisions? Uh, I guess it was mostly positive, to be honest. I, I, like my family is maybe a weird one. Um, my parents, you know, they, they say they're like, we, you know, we set out to, uh, to raise three independent kids. And actually I think we did too good of a job because we've all sort of scattered into the wind and they don't get to hang out with us anymore <laughs> and they don't get to see their grandkids as much as they'd like. But, you know, I think they were always super supportive. And I remember even as a kid, my dad would be telling me stories of people he came across or like, Hey, you know, this guy, he has his own like consulting business, but he actually only works like four months a year. Cause the other thing he likes to do is go up to Canada and do these super long, you know, canoe trips, all in these lakes. And I, I remember hearing these stories and just being like, that sounds amazing. Um, I was always less impressed by this guy is a, you know, super fancy surgeon who works 90 hours a week and makes a million dollars a year. It was more the, Hey, look at what that guy has done. And like, he gets to go have crazy adventures, uh, in his life rather than just work it away. Now you've been with intercom for a long time. You were one of their first hires, right? Yeah, so I was the fourth person hired uh, after the four founders. And actually, yesterday was my interversary, we call them. So our, my work anniversary is seven years now. So, And you've also built up a large team. You were leading a team of up to over 100 people at one point. So what was that like while you were working remote? Yeah, it's an interesting one and, and a question I get asked often. Uh, and I have to give a ton of credit to our founders. Um, you know, very early on, Owen, our CEO, and Des, who's um, our chief strategy officer now, they, you know, kind of, they were totally fine with me being remote. Uh, and they were, the kind of stance was, look, we don't, we're not really a remote company. We're not setting out to create a remote company. Um, but we want you in and this is how it's going to work and it's going to be fine. One day, I'm sure we'll come to a point where we're like, Hey, this isn't working anymore. We have to change some things. Uh, and I was kind of like, okay, that sounds fine. You know, we'll, we'll play by ear and we'll see how it goes. And as I started to grow the support team and hire more and more people, um, you know, these conversations would come up kind of once a year. It's like, oh yeah, you know, like someday in the future, this might not work anymore and we'll we'll have to readjust or we'll have to figure out a new solution. And over time, we just never got to that point. Uh, and it wasn't until, you know, I guess uh, late 20 or early 2017 or so um, that we started having conversations about like, hey, Jeff, what about your next role? Like, what do you want to do next at Intercom? Um, at that point, I was running a 100-person support team um, the support team had sort of, because I'd been sort of left to my own devices in a lot of ways, uh, I had built it sort of in my own image of like, I want remote people. I want to do a follow the sun model for support. Uh, and so in addition to having people in our offices in Dublin and San Francisco, I started to also hire people out in Australia and New Zealand and, you know, West Africa and things like that. Uh, and just to basically cover time zones. 
Um, and it was always like, a you know, it'd come up a little bit in, in these conversations with Owen and Des is like, Oh, I saw you're hiring somebody else out in, in Australia. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's covering time zones. You know, got to, got to be uh, quick on the, quick on the trigger with our customers. And they were always like, okay, okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, and over time we started to add more offices, you know, we've got an office in Chicago and an office in Sydney now. And, um, and so some of those remote people did start to move into offices over time. And so at the end of that, it was kind of like a, look, I'm ready for a different role. Um, I think the support team is now big enough uh, that it, it actually does need a different leader. Um, not only just the, you know, I'm remote situation, but like, I think my skills were sort of topping out in terms of just organizing such a large, such a large team. Okay. So describe the work you do now. Yeah. So as head of platform partnerships, I uh, work in, in product. I basically report up through our R&D team. Um, and I work really closely with our platform partners, so our technology partners. So anybody that wants to come and build on the intercom platform and um, you know, build an app on our app store, those are the people that I'm talking to. And, and beyond the people that are coming inbound, I'm also going out and, and trying to convince a lot, of our, uh, you know, a lot of other great software companies that they really should be building on the intercom platform. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about location, where someone decides they want to live. Yes. Now, you've got a lot of locations pulling at you. You have hobbies you like to indulge in. You have family all across the world in different places. Why do you think for you the place you choose to live is so important for your well-being? I think location like plays a, an outsized role in, in your happiness. Uh, and I don't think people give it as much credit as they should. Uh, you know, for us, it's it's fairly obvious. Um, you know, for me, it's it's really about the outdoors. Um, if I am not able to go outside uh, and feel like I'm away from a city in nature uh, on a really regular basis, uh, I just am not happy. Uh, it's you know, it quickly sets in, and I'm just like, I can't do this. Um, I'm really uh, my tolerance for things like traffic and commuting and all that sort of that stuff is very low as well. It kind of always has been. I grew up in a fairly small town, and so like any amount of commuting, I'm like, I don't, what? I don't get this. Um, you know, even like, even, you know, we lived in Dublin for a year, uh, you know, a couple of years back and it was, it was great. Like a lot of it's really nice and you get a lot of these other benefits, but you know, that sitting on a train an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening, it just eats up so much of your life. Uh, and so I think location really matters a ton and people don't give it as much due thought as they should. You know, they think about the job, they think about, okay, can I stand this part of the commute? But is it's a lot more than just, you know, your commute and your distance from your actual workplace. Uh, and so for us, you know, Italy is great for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, it's also got its drawbacks, obviously, like everywhere. But it's kind of that calculus I think people should be doing is like, which pros do I really care about? Which cons do I care less about? Um, which cons are like total deal breakers for me? And then you can start to look at like, okay, you know, for us, like we can't vote in Italy. So the whole political situation is sort of outside of our scope of reality almost, even though it does affect us. Um, but things like, community and the focus on food and the focus on kind of family here is important to us. And that's something that's really, really strong in sort of Italian culture. And so it, it works really well for us. Um, and then obviously being in the mountains and being uh, in a very small town means we can get out in the hills quick. So location is one thing. What are some of the compromises that people make in their own lives that they're unconscious of a lot of times? Yeah. And I guess, you know, let me start this by saying that like our choice here is like not without its trade-offs. Um, you know, like there's, um, you know, I was actually talking with Owen there recently and, it, you know, we were kind of joking around, but it was like, 
my role at Intercom would probably be really different had I been in an office from day one. Um, you know, you, you kind of are giving up one set of choices when you take another set of choices. And that's just always true, uh, no matter what. And I think when you, when people hear that, they're like, oh yeah, obviously, but you know, you have to actually sit down and go, what are the trade-offs here? And that sort of thing. And so, you know, I think the trade-offs that other people make on a regular basis are things like that. Like they undervalue their time when commuting. And even if you can be you know, kind of productive or reading or doing something like that in a commute, it's still time spent. Uh, and it's time away from being able to, to be with family or be with friends or that sort of thing. Um, I think that there's also in, in that sort of non-remote situation, the, uh, one of the biggest trade-offs I've found is like all these little tiny bits of time. It's like micro situations that you can like participate more in. Like in the morning, I get my kids up, I feed them their, you know, their breakfast and their school is literally 100 meters from our house. And so it's really easy for me to spend, you know, an hour, an hour and a half with them in the morning. Uh, whereas when we were in Dublin and I was commuting every day, it was, you know, I'd have 15, 20 minutes with them. And so it's all these little things that in aggregate add up to a lot of time, but people don't, you know, people are always, humans are bad at kind of looking at aggregate over time. And so it's, it's a hard thing for people to make that trade off or do that math in their head. Now, a lot of people might say that these decisions are easy to make when you're young and single and don't have a lot of people depending on you. But once kids come along, once you get married, then it becomes a little bit of a harder thing to make a big leap like this. Now you made your decisions before kids came along. So how does that impact your life now? Yeah, I mean, it's totally true. Uh, you know, I wish uh, I wish my parents would have sat me down and, and like really pounded on me for a while about how big of a change kids make in your life. And, uh, you know, all the good and bad mixed in there, like it's it's just different. Um, and, and it's one of those one way revolving doors that you can never go back through. Uh, and so I think it is an important thing that, you know, people sit down and have that thought process, whether you want to have kids or not, like you think through it, you know, as objectively as you can think through a situation like that and, and decide what's right for you. Um, you're right. It's way, way easier to, to make a call, uh, that is disruptive and potentially very difficult personally for you, but for you and, you know, your relationship with your partner or whatever. Um, when you add more people into the mix, it just gets more difficult. Uh, like I was mentioning there, we did spend, you know, we've been here since 2010 in Italy, uh, but between 2017 and 2018, we moved to Dublin for a year uh, and it was for family and work reasons, but it was, it was sort of a time bound thing. And we said, this will be a kind of cool adventure we have with the kids. Um, and it'll be good to be close to my wife's family there in Dublin. And it was, uh, difficult to say the least, like moving, you know, two small kids. My wife was pregnant with our third at the time. Uh, we got there, you know, she had our third kid in Dublin and just the amount of stuff that has to change and you have to find all the new rhythms and, you know, there's just a lot there. And so it, it, it is something that you shouldn't take lightly. Um, but I don't think it's impossible by any stretch. You know, like we look back on that year and, you know, there's certain parts of it where we're like, man, that was crazy. And there's other parts where we're like, we're really, really, really happy we did that. And all the stress and difficulty with, you know, finding new schools for the kids and all that aside, like we still had a great experience with it. Okay. Now that brings up another compromise, which is the one between stability and adventure. So how has that played out in your life and what do you recommend for others? Ooh, uh... I feel like this is going to be just a straight up opinion answer here. But, uh, you know, I do think it's a bit different for everybody. Um, some people uh, 
feel very unstable and and that like terrifies them the idea of not having a real stable home base and that sort of thing um some people really just can't fathom the idea of ever having a fixed home position um you know i've got a lot of friends that i met back in yosemite whatever 15 years ago that are still living out of vans on the road full time um and so like there's a huge spectrum there and so i think it's you got to really know yourself on that one and and try and find the balance that you enjoy i know for me i need a lot of uh like micro adventures i need to go out and i need to feel like okay today i did something you know at my physical and mental limit um and and that's you know as long as i'm doing that on a really regular basis i feel pretty good um i love to have like the bigger adventures every you know couple of years or whatever where you're gone for months or potentially you know years uh but i very you know after a certain period of time i also kind of go i really just i need to go home <laughs> i need to like have a fixed base for a little while and kind of decompress so i don't think i could be one of those people that live on the road full time either now what is your hope for your children they live in this kind of in between culture where they're not quite american or irish or italian what do you hope they learn from this experience and what kind of adults do you hope they become Yeah, it's a good one. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways sort of the same that my parents hoped. You know, I hope they're independent, you know, smart kids that uh that have a lot of empathy for everyone around them. You know, I it's really cool to see them speaking two languages already. Uh it's really cool to know that they've got, you know, passports in three countries if they want. Uh and that they can really, you know, that's obviously a massive leg up for them. Uh it's a huge privilege for them, but I hope that like all of that moving around and seeing different cultures and seeing different people and different, you know, people in different socioeconomic levels and all that leaves an impression that is the world is enormous and we're all here and it's all um you know we all have to look after all of it and we have to do it together because we can't just say okay you know this group's job is to solve all the problems and everybody else just has to be pulled along behind that doesn't work um it really has to be you know a giant group effort and i think like climate change is an obvious one here um you know it's never going to work by having a couple of billionaires throw a bunch of money at it and like come up with some new carbon sequestration technology sure that can definitely help uh but it really has to be everybody together understanding that like hey this is a giant problem for all of us and we all need to work together and solve it so i hope they you know i hope they look at the world and they go this is a big huge amazing beautiful wonderful place uh and you know it it sort of requires constant maintenance and uh and that you know that maintenance is also an adventure right like going and helping and seeing other new cultures and having these experiences just opens you up to more of the same and and kind of uh pushing things forward i suppose so jeff we've called this show work minus compromises so as you're talking to our audience What do you feel like is one compromise we haven't hit on yet that you hope people don't have to make? I mean, I think the biggest one is uh that like like you mentioned it earlier in one of your questions, the biggest compromise people make in I think the modern age is that like I've got to work now so that I can retire and do all the things I want later. Uh I think it's the like the original Wall Street movie uh with um uh Gordon Gecko and all the rest and and the kind of main character Charlie Sheen is there like talking about how he wants to go on this like motorcycle trip across China and how he's just like make a bunch of money to be able to do this and like the reality is you know, he could leave right then and go buy a motorcycle for probably 200 bucks in China and do the whole trip on less than $1000 or something you know people get in their heads that like okay i've got to build up this enormous nest egg and i've got to you know i've got to be super successful and be a millionaire before i can actually enjoy anything in life 
And I think that is the the deadly compromise that too many people make. They're like, I'm going to take the pain and the suffering for whatever period of time my my job is, uh, and then I'll get to be happy. Uh, and like, that's just not the case. Like that, you know, no one should live like that. It's a horrible way to live. Uh, and so no matter what you do, make sure that you're able to enjoy the day to day. And like, it's not to say there's going to not be hard days or hard months or, you know, hard years. There's definitely going to be that, but you shouldn't go into it with this like, uh, perspective that, okay, I've got now got to serve my time so that I can, you know, earn my freedom later. Well, Jeff, it's been great to hear about your experiences. If people want to stay in touch with you, where should they go? Yeah, I'm on uh, pretty much everywhere. Twitter, uh, everything is Erskine Gardner, which is my middle name and then my last name all combined. Um, so you can throw it in the show notes or whatever. But that's Twitter is a great place to reach me. Um, and yeah, I love talking to people there. So fire it away. Well, thanks for being on the show and thanks for sharing your story with us. Yeah, thanks, Neil. This has been the Work Minus Podcast. If you like what we're doing, Go to workminus.com where you can see the show notes and a full transcript for every episode. You can also sign up for our newsletter where you'll get the latest progressive ideas about how you can build a better workplace. 